Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with Russell Case. Uh, your, your husband. And we're going to have a little chat about post-pregnancy practice. I, I mean, that's really now, isn't it? It's still going on, yes. You can't say that once you've had a child that that ends. I mean, you can actually. People endure that, endure that all the time. Just that <laughs> we're, we're going to – I think when people talk about this – don't they really talk about like the year after you have the child? They don't talk about seven years later or nine years later where you still struggle to practice. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so we, we'll maybe focus on early days. But We're going to do that? We're going to focus on early days. Yeah, but it's still applicable even now, I think. Yeah. Okay. So – yeah, that's, that's where we left it last time. We had a part one, and now this is part two. So where we left, it was a sort of a cliffhanger. Where we <laughs> left it last time, a, uh, a watermelon uh, covered in goo and mucus had just <laughs> slipped out of your body. Screaming. Screaming. With the, <laughs> yeah, that's a screaming watermelon is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so becoming a mother is often quite shocking. <laughs> yeah, you know, that reminds me, it reminds me of a scene from The Office when Pam and Jim, they're wheeled out to the door of the hospital and then they're left there and they look at each other like, um, uh, is that it? <laughs> is there that you're just going to let us keep this? Yeah. yeah. And and now you're on your own. Mm-hmm. It's really... Yeah, it's really, especially I think uh, the first child, your first time becoming a parent mm -hmm. um, is really uh, quite shocking. I remember I used to always sort of feel like someone left their baby in my house. <laughs> and like, when were they going to come and pick it up? Right. right. <laughs> I yeah. had to keep reminding myself like, oh, no, I'm responsible for this baby now. Yeah. But you did have this, like the, the people talk about this is this sort of heart rending ripping open of surprise like oh my god i'm in love with you yeah it was i mean it was i felt incredibly uh protective and very um yeah very much like like a part of my heart was living outside of my body now wow. or maybe even my whole heart was living outside of my body um, and so you just kind of want to hold your heart close to you mm -hmm. <laughs> as much as possible because it's um, it used to be inside of you and now it's outside of you. And that's a really interesting feeling. And I think the other thing that doesn't get talked about so much um, is not only is a new baby or like a new being being brought into the world, but as a mother, as a woman – you've birthed yourself as well. And so you've come into a, a new form, a new 
a new person. You've never been a mother before if it's your first child. You've never had that responsibility or that feeling and you don't really know who you are. And so I remember feeling very um, much like I didn't know how to relate to the world. I felt like a completely different person almost. And I didn't feel like I could connect with people very well anymore. Um, this was for like a certain time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure kind of who I was. It felt like a complete annihilation of myself and everything that came before up into that moment. And then... Like an effacement? Like, this was harmony. This is who I recognized as myself. And then it was all moved to one side. And now this heart center on a plate, uh, Jediah, this is me now. Kind of. Not that Jediah was me, but just... Yeah, like who I was and how I did things and how I related to the world, none of it could be the same. And almost like none of it really mattered. And now I had to uh, reinvent myself in a way, but not really reinvent myself, but rediscover myself. How did this person do things? And how did this person act in the world? And how did this person relate to people? And so it was interesting because I felt like almost not really connected to my past anymore. It was like a complete kind of, I don't know, I guess, erasing of, of, I don't know, any, everything that came before, like a, like maybe like a baptism or a rebirth or something. And so you feel like a wholly new person so interesting. That reminds me of a a line from Proust uh, in his uh, Remembrance of Things Past, where he said, uh, in describing a woman, um, there's no confidence like the mother of two children. (laughs) That, in Mm -hmm. in saying really, like, you, you maybe you think of a uh, of a young of a young woman and her, maybe her meekness, her insecurity, um, her her um, she, she might be so very quite self conscious. But then there's the mama bear. Mm-hmm. How does that transformation happen? It's just as you as you describe. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just you just become this, and and you also have to deal with who this new person is. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, there's actually been some, uh, you know, scientific studies done on on women's brains, and their brain actually changes. Yeah, that's true. Which is I find fascinating because I really, I mean, I don't know if I felt that exactly, but yeah, just that complete sort of like something new is going on here, and I'm not really sure uh, what couple, that means for me. You know. There's a couple of different um, areas of the brain that increase in circulation. The prefrontal cortex increases in circulation. And so there's a lot more. Um, also, the um, I believe, oh, I don't know if it was the PCC or the ACC increases in circulation. And so there's an increase in, in anxiety. Mm. And so you'll see things because of um, this, this increase in circulation, you'll see increased hand washing. Right, because it's the kind of thing that's necessary when you have a nest, mm-hmm. and so it's a byproduct of the brain changing so that it can become 
this person who can take care of this new form. Yeah. So, I mean, the other- That happened. That happened, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, as far as practice goes, you know, there's sort of this uh, ideal or this recommendation that's out there in the Ashtanga Yoga mythos that, you know, after you have your baby, you should really rest for three months and it's, um, you know, the, what do they call it? The fourth trimester, right? Where you're just resting and taking care of yourself and becoming a mother and taking care of the baby and everything's being nurtured. Like there's some, there's some talk that, that you, you, you swaddle a baby and right and swaddling clothes because the idea being that we're actually not equipped to deal with a fourth trimester. We should keep the baby there because like a, like a baby horse is born. They're running. Yeah. (laughs) First day. Yeah. They're protecting themselves. Yeah. First day. But you don't see that with. um, Yeah. And babies are used to being in a really cramped space. So it's comforting for them to be all like, but they're Cramped not able and tied to. Up they're and... not able to run around. No. And so, so the so the, the the pregnancy process should last longer, but we just don't have the physical capacity for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it should last longer. If it should last longer, it would last longer, but it doesn't. But <laughs> that's de- you know, there's a de- sense of determinism there. That's interesting. <laughs> but, but it. I mean, in a lot of cultures, there's this idea, yeah, that the next three months outside the womb is kind of an extended period of development for the fetus, or not for the fetus, for the baby now, mm. um, and also for the mother. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, I'm not sure if it's India, um, it might not be, but they don't even let the baby like touch the ground, you know, they're, it's always being held Go, yeah. and carried and just as though it was in the womb. As if it was in the womb. They never yeah. leave it alone. It always right. has human contact for the next yeah. three months. That seems normal. Yeah, Natural. It's, it's interesting. I think it's, you know, I mean, maybe there's pros and cons to all these things. But <laughs> I'm pretty pretty sure my mom put me in, in another room right away. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, maybe not natural. <laughs> I, so I want to ask you a particular question to this is, so you have this heart center, this Krishna, this baby Krishna, Bala Krishna suddenly has made a manifestation in the world and you go to practice cultivating Krishna, cultivating love in your heart, cultivating an appreciation and love for all things. How can you why how can you ever go to a mat again? How can you ever go and sacrifice that time to go be with the you know doing that when the baby's right there? The Bala Krishna is there. Yeah, well that's sort of the the thing I was gonna <laughs> speak to. I mean, I think it's nice if you feel if you don't feel like practicing, I don't think you should feel any kind of pressure to practice. It's really important and wonderful to have that time with your new baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I really found, uh, because I felt so um, maybe disassociated with myself. Oh. And, um, you know, there's a lot of hormones flowing, actually, also postpartum hormones, a lot of emotions, a lot of, you know, um, 
dysregulation mm -hmm. going on. I really felt the practice for me was something that I needed to do. And it wasn't like I, you know, delivered a baby and started practicing full primary right away. But within the first week, I was doing some sun salutations, like maybe three or five sun salutation A, and then just the last three closing postures and lying down and taking rest. But I really felt like a little bit of practice, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes was something that I needed to connect to um, a through line. So the, the person I was before becoming pregnant, during pregnancy, and after, the only way I really felt I could connect to that through line was through the practice and the breath and like going inside and feeling my body again. And so for me, the practice was, um, again, like a little bit of a, a lifeline, I guess, that helped me to put the pieces of myself back together and reintegrate it um, in a new way and integrate these new pieces of myself that were forming around being a mother and having a child. And so it was really important for me personally, I felt, to do a little bit of practice. And it was very gradual, very gentle. It wasn't anything, you know, <laughs> Instagram worthy. Um, but it was just you know, slowly building that connection to the breath, to my body, to my inner self, to my sense of who I was back up again and, and having like a little tiny space for me to exist because for the rest of the day and the night, I really felt like everything was an offering like of pure karma yoga, pure bhakti yoga, as you say, like devotion and service. Uh, to this new divine being, this little life form that I was taking care of and nurturing and loving and, you know, devoted to. Is it fair to say that it was a little, it was a little dark? Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely had a, a bit of a dark side to it. Yeah. It wasn't all like, um, you know, rainbows and butterflies and, I mean, the love for sure was there, but it was a bit crushing at times. You, you wouldn't say like postpartum depression. You wouldn't define it like that, but it was definitely like a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think depression, you know, postpartum depression is really uh, difficult to define in some ways. It shows up in many different ways. For some people, it shows up as like you say, that over anxiety they don't want to like give their baby to anyone. They're overly protective of their child. They're really, um, yeah, it's, it's not just like, you know, it's not sort of your typical like lack of enthusiasm for life or interest in the baby, which is like another side effect of postpartum depression. Um, but it can show up in many different ways. And maybe there was a little bit of that also going on. And I found always for me, the practice has been so balancing hormonally mm -hmm. and also chemically mm -hmm. uh, in my brain. And so I think it really helped me to stabilize that. Mm -hmm. I don't think if I, if I didn't have a practice, I think things probably could have got a lot darker, a lot quicker. Right. <laughs> and so intuitively you went to the practice feeling like you needed someplace to connect the whole. Yeah. Yeah. You also, you went to India right away, didn't you? 
Um, I didn't go right away. Uh, I went back to Mysore when Jadaya was 22 months. Oh, that isn't a long, that isn't a short no, time. No. I was, I had this image that you had gone to India and then suddenly having a lot of help in the house with, you know, ladies who cooked or ladies who would watch yeah. the baby was really helpful to you. I thought that it happened sooner. No, it was, he was just under two years old. And prior to that, I really didn't feel equipped actually to go. We had a new yoga studio in Victoria at the time that we were, had just started at the same time that uh, Jedi was born basically. Um, so it was a lot of work, a lot of teaching, a lot of administration on top of being new parents. And, um, and also uh, Jedi had, you know, some, he just was, he was born very underweight and I didn't feel very comfortable taking him to India and relying on their healthcare system. Should he get sick or something happen? Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure he was really healthy and strong. And I didn't start to feel like, like he was in a place and I was in a place emotionally, psychologically to take on that, um, extra added stress of traveling and, and being in a foreign country and having a completely different healthcare system should something happen um, until he was almost two years old. I'm, I think you might say that y you were taking care of a, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was an incredibly intense period in my life. <laughs> I, I was looking this up before we started. Um, I couldn't remember in my head whether it was Chinese or whether it was Mandarin or Hangul, whether it was, it was Chinese or Korean. But there's an expression um, of, of how to describe people. And one, um, one is uh, Korean, it's the seed carrier is the word for man, mm -hmm. uh, ad, uh, ajuma. Um, and then uh, hajumani is, is the, the, the one who, uh, or you reverse it, the one who, who gives the seed. And then in, in the other language, uh, I think Chinese, there's this notion of the inside person and the outside person, and that's how they describe people. And so a mother is an inside person and deal with everything inside the home. Mm -hmm. And that maybe also includes the, the emotional landscape. And then the, the father deals with everything outside the home. Yeah. And they manage all of the, the resources that are to come into the home that would feed the and nurture those who reside in the home, and that's this. That's a thought. That's, that's a. It's, it's perhaps sexist, but there there's roles that allow people to flourish. Mm -hmm. And I have the impression that you were also kind of an inside outside person. <laughs> yeah, I was an inside outside person, <laughs> and that's a that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, not I didn't recommended. No, I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it, you know, it has its own benefits when you're, I mean, I was self-employed running a yoga school. So in some ways it has benefits in that I could stay home. I could be with Jedi. I had no pressure to go back to work, but I, I did have pressure to go back to work right away. because I wasn't getting any benefits. I wasn't getting, um, what do they call it when you like, uh, post, 
postpartum leave from work oh, or yeah, they have that. maternity leave. I, I'm American. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What yeah. You don't get maternity that. leave. <laughs> I don't know um, you know, I wasn't getting any, any benefits because I was self-employed and so they don't give you any benefits when you mm. have children if you're self-employed. Um, so there was pressure to get, you know, to work, not necessarily like jump right back into teaching yoga, but jump right back into administration. Yeah. But someone has to do the administration side. And so at that time, Jeff was doing a lot of the teaching for the first, I would say four weeks to six weeks. And we had an assistant who was also helping another teacher who was uh, helping do some of that for six weeks. And so I did have some time, you know, to be at home and not be teaching, thankfully. But, um, but yeah, I was doing all the administration work behind the scenes. So mm -hmm. breastfeeding and like on my phone and doing social media and, you know, emailing and updating things and doing all mm -hmm. of that, that you have to do when you own your own business and accounting and et cetera, et cetera. That can be really <laughs> tense. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't really get like that period where you're just like in like motherhood bliss and feel completely like uh, taken care of and nurtured right. and and like oh I have no worries I can just hang out here and float on this lovely cloud of mm -hmm. of motherhood newly yeah. fresh motherhood <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot going on for me. Yeah. The practice was important. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, it's not, because it, the practice is this thing that, you know, we use to um, test ourselves emotionally so that when we encounter real shit, right, mm -hmm. we're prepared for it. And so the practice at this point is a lifeline for you with all of the real shit going down. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of it. Yeah. And it was also very interesting because before, I mean, giving birth and having a child, I was always practicing very early in the morning, like up at two or 3 a.m. Yeah. Practicing the, before I taught. That's the job. That's the job, right? Especially mm. when you're teaching Mysore style. Um, you know, I did that for 10, 11 years. Right. Um, going to bed at 8 p.m. and up at, you know, 3 yep. a.m. Two thirties better two. Yeah. Get more done. Yeah, right. So it was that was always I always had this routine and rhythm to my day. And then all of a sudden you have a, a small infant and Jediah was not a good sleeper. He didn't sleep the long when he was two and a half years old, he slept for six hours in a row. And that was the longest he had slept in two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So he was the baby that was literally up every two hours and I was up every two hours right. for two and a half years. Basically. Yeah. I think at some point he started sleeping for three hours. So then it was like every three hours. I That's... mean, and you know him even today, he still gets up after four hours and like goes to the bathroom even or like you today. Yeah. comes and, into our room and, and wakes mom, me up. <laughs> and your mom today. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's like a, there's a line, there's a lineage there. <laughs> My niece, on the other hand, and that whole side of my family, first day, my niece, Amelia, Rose Duende, yeah. 12 hours. Yeah, it happens. Some babies are Every good sleepers. <laughs> day since. A lot of them, 12 hours every day. Yeah. So that wasn't my experience. No. And so I wasn't, 
you know, I wasn't able to get up and practice. That's an unrealistic expectation to put on yourself. So I would just sleep when, when Jediah was sleeping and, you know, maybe later in the day he would go for the, a nap and then I would do a little bit of practice and then maybe nap with him also. Minutes, yeah. yeah. And just like try and create a little space for myself that way. But it was educational in that I learned that I could practice anytime, anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> under any condition. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. you know, if I just ate and, and he falls asleep, you know, and it's been 20 minutes and that's the time I got, then it's like, okay, I'm just going to do this and my stomach's going to be full. And you know what? It's not going to feel super great, but I'm just going to breathe. It's not going to kill me. That's for sure. And the benefits are still going to be there because I'm not trying to like, I'm not doing the practice to increase my ego or to increase my physical prowess or to do advanced asanas. I'm really using the practice as a way to connect deeper within. And so even though the practice wasn't as advanced technically or physically, it became much more advanced experientially because every breath was like being born and dying. You know, every sensation became a a place where you could fix your attention and your awareness and just like move more inward, more inward, more inward. And so it really um, changed the way that I was practicing, I think, because instead of it being about doing more or like getting deeper into a pose, it really became more about getting deeper into myself. And I realized that I actually didn't need advanced asanas to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it was Mm. really beautiful that way because I felt even though the practice was shorter and very basic, um, it was very deep and very fulfilling and very nourishing. And that was a lesson in really what, what the practice is supposed to be bringing to us. And so, um, I mean, that was the physical asana practice, but then also there was this expansion of the yoga into everything I was doing. And so like you were saying with Jadaya, you know, being this little baby Krishna or this, this little deity that you're devoted to and you're mm-hmm. taking care of, Um, it really became like that, that motherhood and the duties of being a mother became an act of selfless service and an act of devotion and, um, and finding the love and the joy and the, um, you know, mystery and the magic and that awakening that's actually available in every single moment, in every single task that we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the vinyasa of changing the diaper. Right. The vinyasa of bathing the baby in the sink. It's super easy to enjoy changing diapers if you can just make yourself enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) The vinyasa of breastfeeding. You know, you learn like that this is this is all yoga. This is what the yoga is about. Yeah. That's right. And how do you live that? How do you embody that? How do you be yoga instead Mm -hmm. of do yoga Mm -hmm. and so that was also i think a big um transformation and and something that really 
you know, conceptually before becoming a mother, of course, yeah, okay, we have to live our yoga and we live our yoga 24 hours a day. And it's all a bit of of a conceptualization or like a concept or an abstraction. And like, yeah, okay, but really it's still all about you. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm practicing ahimsa, but that's really about me because, you know, I'm trying to make myself feel good or better or higher, more worthy. It's really selfish. Um, And so being a mother, though, or a parent, you know, fathers also, not just, (laughs) I just can't say I'm not a father, so I don't know (laughs) that experience exactly, but... You you have to find the dad voice. That's number one. (laughs) You get that dad voice and then things change for you. (laughs) But it's, it's not about you anymore. It really isn't. Nothing is about you. And it's completely, the moment it becomes about you, it all falls to pieces. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about someone else. Mm-hmm. And like the whole world is revolving around another being and you're just in that being's orbit. And you're also revolving around this being. Mm-hmm. And so you, in a way, you get to become selfless. You get to lose yourself. And in losing yourself, you find yourself. But it's it's incredible because for the first time often i think people really understand what it means to not be selfish to not be the number one person in their world and you know we think oh yeah yeah i'm not selfish i'm very uh generous and compassionate and uh loving and giving and i think of other people before myself all the time but mostly we're pretty selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those early days of motherhood really force you, push you out of that selfish position. Mm-hmm. You know, later on it creeps back in. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, those early days, you you have no choice. You can't be selfish. And so it's really interesting. It's sort of a very uh, metaphysical kind of transformation that's taking place, both within uh, the parents you know, especially the mother, because, you know, mothers are uh, the usually the main person who's responsible for feeding the baby, especially if they're breastfeeding, you know, it's, it's a big job. Um, Mm. And so you're, you're really giving life to another creature, another being. And it's, it's life that's coming from you and being created in you. And then it's flowing into another being, like literally. Mm And then that being's growing from that life. And it's so, it's wicked. It's awesome to see, you know, just it's the most natural thing and the most mind-blowing thing to witness. And it's, and then, and then you're in it, you know, then you're in that flow of life, that Tao, that prana, that Mm -hmm. you're just a part of it. And it's so cool. It's so fascinating to to step outside of yourself and just be in that that nourishing river, you know, and let it flow through you and watch how it grows and creates all around you. That's super interesting, you know, because it's it's I think I'm gonna put myself out here a little bit, but um as a as a boyfriend <laughs> and as a as a as a husband and then as a dad, I think the inclination is 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 a little bit more natural in the beginning, 
because your first duty is to treat this girl like a princess. <laughs> She's number one. And the more you can make her feel that way, the more likely you are to get some pussy at the end of it. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like you're Listen trained, up, boys. <laughs> you're trained from day one to, to sublimate yourself for her. And you're out there, and like and a lot of guys fuck this up and just talk about themselves all through the day. But you're really there to listen. Yeah. And you're there to open the door and you're there to make her feel special. Like she's the most important person in the room. And if you do that well, <laughs> I mean, you're on the road to salvation. <laughs> on, you know, Take so, notes. <laughs> so that's, that's the job. And that's, when, and that's the gig is you, is you work f- to feed other people. That's yeah. why you have a job. <laughs> You, you have a job so that she can have diamonds. That's the job. And then you have a job so that she can feed her children without having to work. Yeah. That's the job. And so you're trained early in that to like, to be a little bit selfless because I know there's no reason to give your money to a woman <laughs> except that she puts out. <laughs> Right, but in that you're not being selfless because you're getting something in the end. When you have a child, hopefully, yeah. But the child doesn't give you anything. The child doesn't. <laughs> the child doesn't even say thank you when they're when they're that no, no, young. That's my job is to make sure the child says thank you. The but babies don't say thank you. They don't know. They don't no. care. So you don't get anything. You don't get any recognition. No one's coming to your door and being like, "You're doing such a great job. Yeah. You're a good mother. You're a good father." Yeah. The baby isn't. The baby's not like, "Oh, I love you so much." They, you know, there's nothing. You're just doing it out of pure selflessness, pure yeah. love. Yeah. For this little being. Yeah. And you get nothing from it except the satisfaction, I guess, or the. The reward of of doing work, of mm-hmm. being selfless, and I, I mean, mm-hmm. in that there's in that sacrifice, in that that act, there's something lovely mm-hmm. and beautiful. But it's not like you know, it's it's unlike anything else because everything else there's always like a little payback. There's always a little reward for the self at the end. Usually, you're you're familiar with this, Teresius. Teresius. Teresius was a guy that <laughs> Hera transformed into um, a woman, and oh. or 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 Jupiter transformed into a woman, and then he had the opportunity to be transformed back, and then he was blinded. Oh no, wait, he wasn't blinded yet. And so Hera and Jupiter had a wager, mm-hmm. and they asked Teresius. So in the in in sex, mm-hmm. who has the greater pleasure? And it ha- being someone who had experienced both, he said, well, uh, of the 10, nine parts is woman, is woman's. Mm-hmm. She has nine parts of the pleasure of the sex act. Yeah. And so Hera being extremely offended and also uh, exposed, blinded <laughs> him. So, Fuck you, Teresius. Don't tell men that. <laughs> That we, we, you know, it's like Roseanne Barr said the same thing, you know, of, of um, you know, men were all in, in heaven talking about, you know, what's going to be their number one priority. And like, it's going to be sex. Sex is their number one priority. And on the other side, women were saying, 
you know, there's 10 things that are going to be our priorities. <laughs> Number 11 is sex, and we're still going to like it better than you. <laughs> and I, I think that's true. So when you talk about selflessness, like I'm spending all, all this time making money for you and to get sex, and you still like it better than I do. And how come, I, how come I'm not getting paid? <laughs> Sounds infuri- infuriating. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of men listening to this uh, <laughs> that are just enraged with you out there, <laughs> just sharing funny. your. There aren't a lot of men listening. No, there's not so many, are there? <laughs> One yeah. thing I wanted I wanted to go back to that I really enjoyed the um the part about working in the Dow and, and working for the sake of work and it reminded me of of being in high school and reading. Uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance and reading on the road and being like enraptured with this idea of work. And I went out and I got some brutal jobs, whether it's a dishwasher uh, or a mechanic. And, and I got a job in a rubber factory gluing rubber pieces together. And like I wanted things that would hurt Mm-hmm. I wanted jobs where I could enjoy the the value of work for work's sake, and I was I was struck by what you said about raising Jedi. Like that, there was a sense of like this is this is it, this is it, and you've got to enjoy this because there's if you don't enjoy this, then you're not really understanding yoga. Mm-hmm. There was one piece of advice, you know, it was interesting. Right after Jedi was born, I was. Uh, emailing with Chuck Miller. And he gave me, I think, the greatest piece of advice that uh, I received that I still, Chuck, Chuck, yeah, who he uh, doesn't have any children, but he's, I think he's the oldest of maybe seven siblings. Oh, yeah. He's been a parent. Yeah. So he's, and he also lived on a lot of communes uh, with, you know, kind of families and you know around a lot of parents and children and i mean chuck miller is just uh you know exquisite human being so um but anyway so we were we were emailing and he he said uh something to the effect of i'm not going to say it exactly word for word exact that he wrote but it was whatever you do don't try to make things as they were. There's no going back. There's only going forward and it's all new and embrace it. And it was so, it was just like, I don't know, it just, even today, it really struck me because sometimes, you know, as when you go through these really um, powerful periods of transformation or change, um, you know, you think, oh, when am I going to get my practice back? When am I going to get my body back? Mm-hmm. When am I going to get my life back? <laughs> and there is no back. There's yeah. only forward. There's yeah. your practice is all new now. And baby got back. And baby got back. <laughs> <laughs> your life is all new now. Yourself is all new now. Mm-hmm. It's it's going you know, it's back in that state of curiosity and exploration and building and building into something new, something different, something that's never been before. Mm-hmm. And there is no back. And that's, I think, 
was really helpful to just be like, don't fight it. And that was the other thing he said. The more you fight it, the more you resist what is, the more you will suffer. Mm. And it's so true. The more you try to get things back or get your life back or whatever it is, the more you suffer because you're not really accepting and embracing what is. And then as soon as you embrace and accept or invite what is to be, then you can start to move forward and work from, from what you got, you know, what's actually there, what's actually occurring um, and what you have now. And so then you're not suffering. You're being really real with what is. And so that was, I think, really helpful. And I mean, the good news was I mean, my practice became stronger than it was before I got pregnant. Mm -hmm. I got more flexible mm -hmm. than before I was pregnant. Yeah. I had less pain in my body mm -hmm. than before I was pregnant. Wow. I completed third series and got certified. All of that happened after giving birth right. and being pregnant. That's, and wow, and that's so, I mean, it, it got better in, a, in a, an amazing way, but it didn't happen overnight. It took several years, like five years. Because there was, there was a window there, and I don't, I don't mean to brag, but there was a window there where – I was quite a bit more flexible than you and we were, and then suddenly we like, we went in totally different directions <laughs> and you really took off. And I went, I went very far in the opposite direction. And it was, it was amazing to watch just how much better you were getting than when we were kids together in Mysore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's no, linear path there's no, <laughs> no. <laughs> there's no uh, necessarily predictable outcome i think right it's mm -hmm. always up and down and back um, and forth and my highway to hell is on a loop oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah well we can't all climb the stairway <laughs> to heaven <laughs> no no, I guess not. <laughs> okay, we've well, we've deteriorated into musical yeah. references. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's over. You yeah. want to plug, don't you want to plug? Yes. If you're loving our podcast, please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. That's helpful, so, isn't it? Yeah, leaving a review helps us a lot. Oh, that's nice. And it I makes it also makes us feel good. <laughs> Makes us feel real you, good. We make ourselves feel good. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> Destiny so. is all. <laughs> Destiny is all. So thank you so much for listening today. And I, we look forward to next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing